Fitty is getting groovy over there. You said you liked Wes's music better, and for sure, it bangs a lot harder than my music does. But I see you getting groovy dancing to the beat a little bit. Yeah, now this one just has me rooted in my seat over here. Yeah, okay, that one's better because you didn't just copy and paste <laughs> the actual word in these jokes that you make, like crumble that you just did in the previous segment. So you changed it up a little <laughs> bit, and it works. It's 1 o'clock on Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can text us the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Just talking some college hoops, and we appreciate Josh Graham for joining us. We'll put that interview on the website, WFNZ.com. You can catch it on the Wes and Walker podcast page. David, not a Duke fan, wrote in that he's not buying that UNC doesn't have the players. Seth Trimble has shown that players can contribute when they play. Hubert Davis needs to do a better job at giving players opportunities to play. Do you think this will continue the type of minutes that Seth Trimble got while Caleb Love struggled? Or was this really just a byproduct of Pete Nance being injured and not entering the game? Wes, do you think that those bench players will continue to see more minutes? McCoy even getting 17? Yeah, I think so. It depends on... I believe Hubert will get a feel for how they're playing when he does insert them into games. And if they're given the type of production and energy uh, that he is looking for, I think they will continue to get minutes. Sure. What do you think, Fiddy? I, I, I want this answer to be yes. I think the answer is no. Me and Flounder have talked at length on our podcast. Hubert's running this rotation like an NBA rotation where some guys are going to get some run some nights and there's going to be some dudes – the other night, and and so I think it's really hard to sit here and pinpoint and say that, you know, these guys are going to get consistent minutes. I, I do think that Carolina's best lineup includes Seth Trimble on the floor, along with Love, Davis, Leakey at the floor at the four, and then Baycott at the five. But I mean, it took Carolina how long last year to find its rotation? We're in the January already, and we should all have our rotation. I want that answer to be yes, but I think that answer for right now is still a no. I think Trimble, though, more so than maybe McCoy. Because if you just go based off of replacing one player for another, I would think if – I don't know. What is Pete Nance's injury status, by the way? Do we know that, Fiddy? He's day-to-day. Okay, so it's not like we're worried about him missing a significant length of time. Maybe he misses Notre Dame if he's day-to-day. But point being, when Pete Nance comes back, maybe that's the guy that takes away your McCoy minutes. But Seth Trimble – I mean, played himself into more of an opportunity, played well. And not only did he just hit shots, it'd be one thing if he just got hot and hit four three-pointers, that's not going to be sustainable. But he made smart cuts. He had a good two-man game with Armando. You see him playing extremely hard, beating guys down the floor. Trimble is someone that does need more minutes. And I I hope Hubert Davis realizes that too, especially with some of the uh, dynamic ability you bring when you go to a three-guard lineup. So I thought that was really interesting. By the way, Tyrone Corbin, assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, he's going to be joining us at 120. So we'll talk about the Hornets season, and uh, we'll talk about both me and Wes having a Tyrone Corbin basketball card in our hands. I want to see if he has cards of himself around his house at all like i want to see if he at least has one or two so tyron corbin going to be joining us at 120 we'll get back to the carolina panthers conversation so jim harbaugh has been in the news really all week long we saw will kunkel break it of queen city news that david tepper and michigan head coach jim harbaugh had a conversation about being the head coach not necessarily an interview they were very emphatic that it wasn't a complete interview but it was just a conversation And since then, we've all speculated about the possibility of Jim Harbaugh becoming the head coach of Carolina. And then he makes this statement 
that says he's anticipating coaching Michigan next year. But in that statement he released, I don't think he dispelled anything. I mean, he didn't put anything in cement. I am going to be coaching for Michigan next year, and these NFL opportunities can just go to the trash, and that he's not going to consider any of that. I didn't think he dispelled anything, to be frank, with the, with that statement. And then, right after that, we saw the report about violations and possible suspensions coming Michigan's way. Now, they looked to be minor violations from what I saw in the reporting on this, but still violations nonetheless, and the timing is obviously interesting. What do you make of this whole Jim Harbaugh, Michigan situation? Yeah, I mean, it had a little bit of Pete Carroll vibes, even though they're not as serious as they were at USC, where you're talking probation uh, for the program, but still a suspicion, suspension nonetheless and a stain uh, on his tenure there if they are to uh, be violated. So that made me think maybe there may be some concrete under all of this. But at the end of the day, he's riding the fence. I question from the beginning because nothing that's leaked now is just by happenstance. I think his camp wanted to get that out there. As I said, in my opinion, 12th highest paid head coach in college football. I think he wants to up that and get up into that top two or three. As far as when you talk about the bag, that's just my theory. And just the way he's kind of riding the fence and saying he anticipates being back at Michigan uh, next season. I feel like they may be starting to work on that extension now, even despite uh, you know, the impending violations and maybe a suspension uh, next season. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like he's genuinely interested in NFL jobs? Or you think this is completely a Michigan play? I think it's very hard to get a guy to leave his alma mater, especially when he's really starting to become successful there. That's always been home to him. He's always been a Bo Schembechler clone as far as how, you know, his philosophies and what he wants to be. And so I just think it would be very hard to pry him away from Michigan, especially if they come uh, and up the salary even more. So uh, I'm not going to say he doesn't have any interest, but I think at the end of the day, he would like to be amongst the top paid college head coaches at his alma mater and keep trying to plug away for a national championship because they're knocking at the door. Well, it's funny. I, I typed in Jim Harbaugh's statement into Twitter, just trying to pull it up to read it verbatim real quickly. And then just five minutes ago, Pat McAfee was talking to Ian Rappaport, I think making a weekly appearance on that show. And the quote is, there were words in that Jim Harbaugh statement, end quote, like meaning nothing. The statement probably didn't even need to be released, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't know if that made Michigan fans more comfortable if you won Harbaugh. I don't know if that made you more comfortable or uncomfortable if you're a Panthers fan wanting Harbaugh or wanting him to stay well, with Michigan. Well, if he ends up staying, too, you don't want players going and jumping in the portal if they're really starting to say stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I, I we'll see how it all plays out, but I still think anything is possible at this point. And here's Chris Sims, by the way, talking about if he does make that jump from college to the NFL, then Jim Harbaugh, I mean, he'd be putting out a good product with this Carolina team, but the off the field factor might get a little weird. It doesn't matter what, you know, business it is, especially in the NFL. Yeah. There's a certain jerk quality you need as a player or a coach to kind of be successful. You know, and if you don't have that, you know, it, it's, it is tough at times and he's got that for sure. And it's, it's a good thing. I'm not even trying to be funny there, you know? So I, I understand that from all facets and, He's going to get things going in the right way. The only thing you have to worry about is him in those things you talked about. You know, 
things got very weird at the end in San Francisco. And you could say that they were weird for a few years because of the after effects of Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, that that's where. Or you have to worry about, oh, wait, it's three or four years, and he kind of just got us going in the right direction, but there's a shinier, new, better job who maybe does have the franchise quarterback, and now he's going to leave you to go to that one. Those are the two things you have to worry about with Jim Harbaugh. Other than that, uh, there's no negatives. I mean, he he's going to get the football team playing tough, playing hard. That does wear on teams, though. That whole weird thing with Harbaugh. Because it's easy to say, I just want to win right now. 100%. I want to win too. But I'm just going based off of how other teams have dealt with Jim Harbaugh before, right? Like you had the weirdness last year with him parlaying his his tenure at Michigan and trying to get an NFL job. And eventually Minnesota just wanted to go with Kevin O'Connell. And it's like, oh, wait, my bad, y'all. Like I'll come back and coach. And you know, eventually they get to the college football playoff. So you do win. How much credence do you put into the headache type stuff when bringing in Harbaugh? Is that something you're willing to deal with? Um, if we win and get a championship, sure. You know what, what I'm saying? So what's the level, right? Like, because winning a championship, I think anybody is taking that risk if, if you're guaranteed. To be a sure. consistent winner, consistent contender, I think you do have to deal with some of that because every coach – you know, it's like a relationship. Every woman or man or whatever the case may be is going to have their quirks. So every coach that you have is going to have their quirks as well. I don't have any quirks, and I still can't find a woman. <laughs> zero. Fitty, you have zero quirks. I don't know why anybody yeah. would, would say that about one Josh Fitty Marlin. I mean, are you implying that I do? Because if I do, enlighten me. I've got nothing for you. Yeah, me neither. No, no, you are. Perfect. You, the pinnacle of manliness. <laughs> the pinnacle of manliness is one Josh Fitty Marlowe. Let's take a quick break. We do have Tyrone Corbin uh, calling in, the assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets. We do have some more Jim Harbaugh, Steve Wilkes topics we want to get to. We also have DeMar Hamlin updates we want to discuss. We still have to rank the top 10 players in the Panthers-Saints game. A lot happening here on Wesson Walker. Stick around. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Justin Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, Tyrone Corbin, supposed to be calling in here soon. And we'll discuss not only the season, the halfway point in the year, where they're heading, what they've improved on, but we'll also discuss maybe some of his playing career because, man, saw three decades playing in the NBA from 1985 to 2000. Long time, not only playing, but as soon as he was done, he got into coaching. I mean, in 04 and 05, he was with Utah forever, was a head coach with Utah, had an above 500 season in 2012 and 2013. And also it was just recently his birthday. So a lot going on with Tyrone Corbin to talk about with him. You can text us 704-570-9610. And we can tell him he started our whole conversation about cards. Absolutely. He was the foundation of the show. And I know that makes Fiddy angry. He likes to view himself is the foundation of every show but today it has to be tyrone corbin is that something you're willing to share credit for or do you want to bring it on back to one josh fitty marlowe i mean as long as you play your cards right i think i'll be okay <laughs> okay i like it i don't know why <laughs> it's stupid i don't know why i like some of the jokes you make that i do that one i did like a little bit more though um the hornets play the bucks tonight and the eight of the ten road games they have are going to be against some pretty good competition right now you have milwaukee 
you have Boston. So you have the two home games, and they're both against the Boston Celtics. So the time that you'll have your advantage, it's going to be against one of the better teams in all of the NBA. Wes, I do think this next 10-game stretch is going to finally cement and define the season and define the angle you might take at the trade market and just how you play younger players the second half of the season, this next 10-game stretch is going to be critical based on what we see the rest of the way. No doubt about it. And with the teams that you mentioned, you know, things aren't looking great, especially with what we've seen as of late with this team. But, yeah, you're going to get some answers. As you say, you're going to figure out what needs to be done next. And I just wonder, you know, what are they thinking at this current moment? You know, what is the thought process with this Charlotte Hornets front office because all of these teams are some pretty good basketball teams when you're talking Raptors, Pacers, Bucks, Boston, you know, like I said, and even Houston can come out on a given night and give you a lot of points and be a handful to deal with before you travel to Atlanta, Utah, and Phoenix. So, uh, yeah, a lot of questions to be answered with this team, and hopefully Coach Corbin will provide us with some insight as well so i I joined sam farber on the hornets hivecast yesterday you can check that out we tweeted it out at walker mail on twitter i believe sam farber put it out there as well and if you want to follow the show handle you can follow that on at wes and walker i do have struggles trying to spell this thing though yes wes and walker w-e-s-a-n-d-w-a-l-k-e-r get us to 1000 let's go hit that follow button what are you doing (laughs) so that's that's where you can follow us on twitter um yeah i mean if you look at this bucks game tonight i think the way that you can pull off the upset is actually turning it around in the transition game because it's weird you look at milwaukee they might have the best transition player of all time which is crazy because on the surface it sounds absolutely ridiculous but Giannis is a seven foot beast of a man who can handle the basketball and as and is as good as a finisher as we've seen, especially with that kind of skill set. Usually they're awesome in transition, but this year their points per possession is very low, which is surprising. They're actually not nearly running it as frequently as they used to. So this is not as fast a Milwaukee team as we've seen before. And so when you talk about Charlotte having problems getting back on transition, Wes, maybe this is the time that they can turn it around and hopefully so under Steve Clifford and guys like Tiger. Yeah, not a great shooting team. This Milwaukee team, 25th in the NBA and field goal percentage, but they're first in rebounding. So when they do miss shots, they're going to go up and get those in battle. So hopefully the Hornets can take advantage of that, get a rebounding as to help them out. All right, so Tyrone Corbin, the assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, has now called in to the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Coach, thank you so much for the time. How are you today? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling in. We, we were talking a little bit about that game tonight against Milwaukee. Unfortunately, this season has been ridiculous with the injuries. Coach, you had a long NBA playing career. You have a long coaching career in the NBA have you ever experienced the amount of injuries the Hornets have this season? Not from the not from the very beginning of the season till this point in the season. Uh, not all at one time. It's been been challenging. Uh, it's been a tough situation for us. But you know what? It is what it is. We've got to try and continue to make the best that we can out of it. Well, Coach, who are some of the players that have been able to maybe not replicate what a Kelly Oubre or Gordon Hayward might, especially with their injuries, but how have you been able to adapt to so many different injuries that have hit the Hornets this season? Well, just trying to – Coach is doing a great job of just trying to maximize the uh, session on the offensive end for the guys that are making up for the uh, 
amount of points that we've had in and out of lineups. You know, you starting right from the, you know, the mile situation in the beginning of the year, and then um, Melo's been out for a time. Gordon Hayward's been out. Uh, you know, all of the top scores, Terry, missed some games. So all of our top scores, and now with Kelly, 20 more points out of the lineup, it's just been a, a juggernaut most nights trying to figure out how can we score enough points to manage games and then defensively, how can we match up and not allow the other teams to get uh, easy numbers against us. Coach West Bryan here. What have you been seeing with this team as far as just in the locker room after some of those tough losses or streaks as far as just leadership and, and, and how's it looking in there as far as with the guys and, and their basketball character, so to speak? Well, they've shown great character. Uh, you know, I've been around this league for a long time, as you said, and been on some teams where I've been around some teams that, you know, things don't go as well as you like and the guys are all over the place. Well, um, you know, along with the guys, Coach has done a great job of keeping the guys focused on trying to get better, trying to be as good as we can be now and staying together uh, through the disappointments. And, and everybody's not happy with, you know, some nights how we played, uh, the results of, of losing close games or losing games by a big margin. So, um they continue to work and trying to get things figured out and under, but understand that, you know, not using that as an excuse that we have key guys been in and out of the lineup all year, but there's responsibility for us to learn and, and play better as a group, whoever we put out there on the floor. And then from your perspective as an ex-player, as I said, and a long-tenured coach, as far as how they are shooting the basketball right now, 29th this year in field goal percentage. Last year they were 11th, and then they were 6th last year in uh, three-point field goal percentage and 30th this year, but a lot of the same parts are there. What do you see as just far as how shots are being set up? Is it just the way the offense is running? Is it guys not uh, knocking down open shots? But what have you seen as the main source of the shooting woes? Well, the part the parts may be here. They have been here together for an extended amount of time this year, you know. And then, you know, you look at Melo being out for the amount of time that he has. He's a great setup guy for guys. Uh, Terry's been on the ball more than he was off the ball last year. The way we have to use him with Melo being out of lineup, or if a guy's been out of lineup, we played Theo quite a bit uh, for a young guy who's trying to figure out had to play extended minutes for. So the cohesiveness and the um, the flow of offense hadn't been as potent as we wanted to be because of how we had to juggle lineups. But, you know, you got to still make open shots. And we hadn't shot the ball when we had open looks as well as we want to up to this point. But it's one of the things we're going to have to continue to work on and understand as we get better, uh, get healthy, that, uh, you know, we got to make open shots. And, um, you know, they set up guys and Melo being back and, and Terry getting off the ball some and uh, being able to play on the ball as well. To get open looks, we got to make the open shot. Charlotte Hornets assistant coach Tyrone Corbin joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You know, coach, if I'm not mistaken, you were out of the league last year as a coach. And when Steve Clifford was named the head coach, we saw that you, among others, um, were going to be a part of this new coaching staff. How did that conversation go when Coach Clifford approached you about being a part of the staff this year? Oh, extremely excited. You know, I'm from South Carolina originally, um, so I'm, I'm Always come back. I uh, always wanted to play for the Hornets when I when I played. Um, being from South, being from the area, close to home, and I was excited about the roster. You know, they had a good run the last few years. Didn't really make the playoffs. I thought they had a great nucleus of guys to have a chance to take a step forward. Um, so I'm still excited about being here. Just we haven't had the uh, bodies that we thought we would have when we signed up for it, but. 
it is what it is. We, these guys are great guys. They play with, they're showing great character. And I think once we get healthy, I feel really good about the roster, and I think we'll make some noise, but we got to get healthy. Uh, Coach, you said you kind of always wanted to play for the Hornets. Was there ever a shot? I mean, it, you had a 15-, 16-year career. Was there ever almost an opportunity for you to suit up for the Hornets, and what happened if so? No, not really. I mean, I I was always, uh, you know, they, the team and the roster spots really didn't match up. Uh, I, I thought initially when the expansion draft happened when I was picked up in Minnesota, um, the the Charlotte Spanish deal and those guys came here. I thought that was probably the best opportunity, but not nothing concrete that was in in talks uh, during the time. I never really became a free agent that had an opportunity to match with my spot with the uh, with the Hornets. Coach, I don't know if you know, but uh, you started our show off today. Walker and I talked about that's each right. having your basketball card as kids, and then that sparked a whole discussion <laughs> about trading cards. So were you a trading card collector as a team? Do you have any of your cards? I have a lot of cards. My my kids uh, uh, picked up my, my son and my nephew uh, collected. We have a ton of them at my house. I don't, I, I'm sure they have a lot of them uh, that's uh, uh, really old cards at the house. We just they did it for quite a while, and it was really popular for my kids who were younger, especially as they got older in the league. Uh, they they collected cards, collected autographs, and I never really got into it that much. Tyrone Corbin joining us here on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Do you know about the value? Like, what's the most valuable card that you feel like you ever came across? Does something come to mind? No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I never really... Like I said, I never really got into it as much. My my son and those guys probably yeah. know. My son would know more than I would, but I just never got into collecting. Um, no, that's okay. We'll just keep doing it here. That We'll just uh, take care of the collecting of all of the cards here. A couple more things before we get you out of here, Coach. You, you see a game, uh, the opponent that you have tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously a fantastic basketball franchise here as of late. How do you pull off the upset tonight? Well, we, we have to make sure, first of all, the one area we've been struggling is transition defense. We have to make sure we get back and get our defense set. They do a great job of pushing the ball up the floor and attacking early before the defense can get set. Uh, Giannis is a load, and everybody knows that he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton and get downhill and got to keep him out of the paint some kind of way. And then to get out and guard the three-point shooters, it's a little different with Porters and uh, Lopez being the two bigs for them. They are capable of spreading the floor which helps the honest, you know, with a big out of the paint, they have to be up there guarding because they can hit three-point shots. So we got to do a great job of keeping guys in front of us, keeping them out of the paint, but also making sure we get back close out to the three-point shooters. And, Coach, talking about Giannis and some of those guys, something I always like to talk about or debate, and you played in the 90s, and, you know, a lot of people love to talk about the new age players and what would and wouldn't happen in the 90s. Do you, from your perspective, do you look at some of the guys, the Lucas, the Giannis, even the Mellows, how they put together these amazing stat lines that maybe in yesteryear would have been really and they're celebrated now, but even back then they were even more special to put up some of these stat lines. Do you look at some of these guys today and just like, wow, I'm glad I'm I'm not playing basketball mm-hmm. anymore? Or do you feel like some of these guys would struggle to play in the 90s? It's a different game. I mean, the way the game's uh, refereed, uh, the style of play is different. The, you know, you're coming down. I think back when I played, if you came down and transitioned pull up for a three-point shot, they barely had going in. If not, you look at the table, somebody's coming to take care of the game. But now, Guys will turn down layups to to get to three point shooting. So it's it's a different game. Uh, just tremendous athletes are different in how they approach the game. They 
it's more of a, a spread offense, less physical, hands-on guy. When I played, uh, you kept your hands on the guy. You could touch him. You could move him a little more with your contact. It's a little less contact now. These guys are really special athletes in what they do. So if they get open looks or they get in transition and get in get a one-on-one situation going to the basket, there's something special that's going to happen. So um, it's a it's a different way of playing the game. It's more exciting for the fans. Uh, it's been very successful this way. They take the physical play out of it. But, um, you know, it's fun. The, the three-point shot is, is really revolutionized the game, the way the game's played. That is Tyrone Corbin on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, the assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, having a game tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, you can catch that right here on 92.7 FM. Coach, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for Thanks, calling Coach. In. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Absolutely. A long career, man. You look at that guy. You talk about a basketball lifer. I mean, the more that you looked at his stats, the more that you looked at the tenure. 85 was his first year in the NBA. Ended his playing career in 2000. Got into coaching in 2004 and has been there ever since, except for last year. And by the way, happy belated birthday to Tyrone Corbin turning 60 years old just a few days ago. I thought it was interesting with him talking about that conversation with Steve Clifford and especially with the roster makeup and the injuries. Because if you think about it, Tyrone does think that he's taking over an assistant coaching job where you have Miles Bridges, you have LaMelo Ball Mm -hmm. on the up and up. You have Gordon Hayward, hopefully that can be healthy. And you know what? Maybe you don't even have to rely on Gordon Hayward nearly as much as you did in previous years. So if he does get injured, then you have more appropriate pieces to take care of that. Kelly Hubre can come in off of the bench and score, and Jalen McDaniels, P.J. Washington, right? These guys could ascend in their specific role, and then it all falls flat on its face when Miles Bridges is arrested for felony domestic violence. You have LaMelo Ball go down in the preseason and was going to miss about a month's worth of time. And then when you get guys back, somebody else has to be injured. So you get Gordon Hayward back. You get Dennis Smith Jr. back. And then LaMelo Ball gets injured again. So he misses another month of the season. I believe he's only played 15 total games as it stands right now. You know, I'm not going to say that Steve Clifford, Tyrone Corbin, any of these other coaches regret taking this job. But it absolutely is not what they signed up for when you viewed the roster at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and it's kind of like the old uh, phrase in the corporate world, if you get a job, a bait and switch. It's almost that type of situation where you came in and you had all these tantalizing things to bring you in, and then you get there and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I thought it was going to be this, this, that, and (laughs) the third. It's such a change. And it's not. So you have to think that in their minds, I mean, they'll never tell us this, but you know in their minds, it's human nature to be like, yo, I came here and I thought it was going to be one thing, and it's something completely different. Well, look. You know, I I do feel bad for Steve Clifford to some extent. Yes, he's making a lot of money. No doubt about that. He gets to be doing what he loves as a head coach. But you can tell just how much playoff success matters to him. It's something he talked about in the coaches luncheon that in order to be viewed in a favorable way as a head coach in the NBA, you got to have playoff success. And that's something Steve Clifford just doesn't have. We have the 2015-16 appearance. That Hornets team took the Miami Heat to seven games, and then they got absolutely destroyed by Dwayne Wade, a superstar, and they would never go back and never have that much success at all. That was that was the most they had in this new iteration of a Charlotte Hornets professional basketball franchise, whether it be the Bobcats or the Hornets. And Steve Clifford wanted to have that playoff success. And even if he wasn't going to get it this year, even if you get back to the play-in, everybody is 
reasonably healthy because nobody's going to dodge injuries the entire season. But everybody's back, reasonably healthy. You get to the play-in. You don't get destroyed. Maybe you actually are competitive. Maybe you make it to a top-six spot after making eight, nine originally. I don't know. And then you have something to build off of. But you don't have anything to build off of the second half of the season. I mean, Wes, they are below the Detroit Pistons right now in the standings, tied, but they have less wins as it stands currently. And I don't know if Steve Clifford is going to be back because I just don't know the clean slate, just how clean it's going to be because you're not going to get rid of everybody, but they might get rid of quite a few, whether it come through the trade market before the deadline, whether it come through the trade uh trade market in the off season, you could see a ton of changes and maybe some changes to the coaching staff. Well, when you get to these guys ages and I'm talking about him and coach Corbin 100%. As well, I mean, you're not trying to fool around with the rebuild. You're not a young coach that's built for the long haul. Clifford specifically wanna, said that, by the that's way, that's what I'm saying. You don't want to come in and have to take three, four years to get going. Like you want to come in and have some success uh, immediately, especially and then when you have to deal with the young team who, you know, I feel like maybe doesn't necessarily have the requisite ingredients as far as just, you know, some of the immaturity and different things like that, man. And so that makes it even worse. It's one thing if you come in and coach a young team, you know, that, that that's really buttoned up and just on the precipice, but this team looks like it has a long way to go. So I'm sure for Coach Clifford, you know, He's not looking to be in a long rebuild. He wanted a team that was going to be, because like I said, with the way this team was looking and with some roster tweaks, he had a team that he felt like, man, I can come in here and make this thing go and take it to the next step. And now they are multiple steps away. All right, we're going to talk. looking up at the staircase. Yeah, I mean, they're at the very bottom. Uh, You know, (laughs) believe it or not, there actually is some good to this and some surprising good things that could happen with this team. Of course, it's all centered around the draft, but we also need to look at, the the rarity or at least the the far and the, the few I should say of the NBA teams that are in the same category that had expectations but are now looking to tank really it's a little bit of a different situation compared to other NBA teams we can get to that maybe a little bit later on in the show coming up next we need to get back to some of the coaching topics that we did not get to in the first half of the show plus I did want to provide a DeMar Hamlin update first and foremost his health and then second the NFL did decide to cancel the Bengals Bills game and we'll talk to you about how they plan to go forward with the scheduling um, in the next segment not before another Fitty Flash what you got for us Fitty? Well, that scheduling is where I'm actually going with my flash because the NFL announced last night that that Bengals-Bills game will not be completed. It will not be resumed, which means they have to alter the way that they're going to seed and format the playoffs. And the biggest, I guess the biggest thing that they announced last night, there will be a scenario for neutral site games, whether it be in the wild card round, the divisional round, or the AFC title game. Joe Mixon. Bengals running back went to Twitter to say what we're changing the rules now I see what do you guys think of the NFL's decision to to make this type of change in the postseason which is rather unprecedented not just in the NFL but in all four major sports I kind of put my palms up in the air shrug my shoulders and say I think they probably did the best that they could in this situation because you're canceling a game between the Bengals and the Bills, so you're at least not having to add another outing 
you know, if we're going to discuss player safety and trying to keep, I guess, football at a minimum when you're talking about the confines of the season. And it seems to be as fair a way that I could cook up. I don't know if I have anything better. I know you could have pushed back the games because you do have a bye week before the Super Bowl. And I understand that was somewhat on the table to where maybe you could get that Bengals-Bills game in. At the same time, neutral site. I, I understand some of the ways that they went about this. What about you, Wes? Do you have um, some uh, criticism? Yeah, I don't, I'm not really a fan of it. I think that they could have just pushed back and got everything in that they needed to to make it as such because these guys spend all season long trying to earn home field and different things of that nature. And for them to make wholesale changes like this, adding a team to the field and just things that would normally be uh, earth-moving type of changes, it's, a, it's very unfortunate what happened. There's no doubt about it. We hate it all, and I love the fact that Hamlin's recovering, but I think the NFL could have done this, done a little bit better job. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more about it coming up in the next segment. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 FM. One more segment before the 2 o'clock hour, bringing you up until 3, and then Kyle Bailey, Smoke Ludwig, take over from 3 to 6. And, of course, the Charlotte Hornets game tonight will be after that. They'll be playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Sam Farber on the call, 92.7 FM, Sports Radio, WFNZ. So if we want to discuss this neutral site game a little bit more and then get to a couple of other coaching topics real quickly, the NFL did announce saying this, quote, in announcing the decision to cancel the game Thursday, the NFL cited three key factors. The outcome would have no bearing on which teams qualified for the postseason. Playing the game would have altered the playoff schedule for the remaining teams and not playing the game would allow all clubs to know the postseason possibilities before the start of week 18. And if you look at some of the bullet points that are most important here as far as the game is concerned, if Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie, then you have the championship game being a neutral site contest. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Baltimore wins or ties, a Bills Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. And if Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati wins, a Bills or Bengals versus Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. I know Zach Taylor and the Bengals, you mentioned Joe Mixon, they weren't exactly thrilled with this outcome. Fiddy, real quickly, I know you are not exactly the biggest fan of this NFL decision. What did you make of uh, what the National Football League decided to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, well, we actually had the boss, Jeff Rickard, and, and I asked him, there's already rules in place for something like this happening where a game doesn't get played, completed, whatever, and now you're just going away from the rules that you already you already have established, and so you know there, there, there's going to be teams or, or that are going to have to play neutral site games, and that's just that's just not fair to all parties involved. We see it all the time in baseball. Well, not all the time, but you see it in baseball where teams only play 160, 61 games, and that alters playoff seating and stuff like that. And so um, I, I get it that there was you know, this was a you know, a freak accident and something you didn't see coming, but. You already have bylaws in place to, to kind of guide you if something like this were to happen. They didn't abide by them, and so I could see why you know players, coaches, and fans are frustrated with the NFL's decision. So 
Of course, coming from all of this is the injury, the collapse, the scary situation that we saw from DeMar Hamlin on Monday Night Football. We are getting good news, and it seems to be coming a little bit more so in bigger steps now because the Bills put out there that he's actually recovering remarkably as it stands currently, that we know that he is cognizant, he is being able to communicate, writing, I believe, on a whiteboard, and being able to message to different people, even though he is still in a situation you don't want to be in. We are now hopeful from the updates that we're getting around this bill situation around the DeMar Hamlin situation. And so that is fantastic news. Um, You know, when you look at this situation with DeMar Hamlin here, Wes, you know, there's a lot of questions to be asked and I understand some of the other topics, but most of all, it's just important that he is recovering at the rate he is right now after, you know, about three, four days since the injury. Yeah. Things are looking up for him. The thing I liked the most was when he, they said he communicated through writing. Uh, now they say he's able to talk to his friends and, and his family and stuff like that. But I like that he uh, asked who won the game. I mean, just a true player at his core, you know what I'm saying? And so I felt like if his brain was functioning enough to be able to ask that, that things were really looking good for him. So I'm excited. Well, and, and part of that too, not even just the, how much he cares about football part of this, but which is, you know, so many different NFL players, Wes, you played college football. Imagine yes. it was the same for you. You cared about who won the game. That's what you get into one. It's because it's so much fun and you love the game of football and you care about winning, but also the doctors, as far as the report said, when he asked that question, it showed that not only was he conscious, but that the lights were on. Right. That he was was able to reference something that happened right before, which is fantastic Mm -hmm. news that the lights were on to use their terminology, to use their analogy. That was excellent. And you look at this injury, Wes, you know, how chilling of a reminder is this in how dangerous the game of football actually is? And, you know, is there any future conversation to be had about what happened and how it affects the game? Well, I've seen people at times say that they don't think that the NFL will be around uh, in the future, that football will be around like that in the future because of how dangerous it is now. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but I think for many, like I said, and a lot of the players have been coming out and saying that people look at them as animals and that they should be able to get through anything. And it, and it was routine because when it first happened, it was just like a routine situation. You watch a lot of games, NFL games, football games, where there's somebody laid out. They have to be carted off or helped off of the field, and then it's business as usual. And so that was the thing about it. But now we really got to see, and especially over the last few days, we just really got to see the human elements of football, just how close you can come to death, not injury, but death playing this game. And I think for many that are in our age demographic and younger and even some older, like this was the first time that we really had a brush with death on a football field. And I think that really put into perspective for a lot of people uh, just how dangerous this game is. Well, And just to be clear about some of the updates, you know, it wasn't quite updating nearly to the hour here, but Bleacher Report put out, and this is Shams, I believe, putting this out there as well. DeMar Hamlin's breathing tube, it was removed this morning. He can now breathe fully on his own. And he did FaceTime into the Bills team meeting today. And he talked to players and the coaches. And he said that he loves his guys. He, quote, love you boys, is what he said to the Buffalo uh, Bills in their team meeting. So excellent progress happening with DeMar Hamlin. It's about as, as good as you could possibly hope for, given the situation where it was as scary a thing that we've seen on national television in the NFL. And I know what happened in 1971. There's been plenty of scary 
injuries that have taken place within the National Football League before, but can't remember feeling like that. And, you know, and maybe only as a 30 year old, Wes, you're 39. I do know that you've experienced some scary stuff before playing the game of football yourself. And having family conversations was kind of an interesting point that you brought up earlier this week when we were talking about it, right? Where your mom talked to you about how she was always worried when you stepped onto the football field. And as a father, I'm sure this hit a little bit different than it would for me, Fitty, and some other people that don't have children. Yeah, I mean, she, you know, we talked about it even more this week and she would just say just how her anxiety would be almost to the point she couldn't stand it before I played games because of instances like this, not necessarily where you have brushes with death, but just your child being injured. I got injured one time at NC State. It was just a pretty sprained ankle, but I had one of those sit down on the field. The crowd is quiet type of things, and my mom didn't know what was going on, and she said like how scared she got in those instances. And then as a father with my son, unfortunately, he hasn't gotten any serious injuries playing yet maybe a little bit of rough housing or some different things on the court that I may not like that I've seen him play but you still worry you know what I'm saying and especially playing a physical game as football I didn't want to make it about this on Monday but I did actually have a teammate pass away uh, doing football activities when I was at the University of Florida one of my uh, freshman teammates A. Ross Oten uh, was a fullback out of Louisiana. We compared him a lot to Mike Allstott. That was at the time when you had the deaths of Corey Stringer and a lot of the stuff with the ephedrine with guys and workouts and stuff. And uh, I was in that day. Uh, I couldn't go out there on the field, and they had me on the Stairmaster, which was worse, by the way. But, um, you know, guys came in, not to make light of the situation, but guys came in the locker room and were just, you know, just really shaking up and were telling me about what happened. And apparently, you know, the towards the end of the workout, you know, he just kind of went delirious. He just sprinted across the street, uh, was a bit out of his mind, you know, before he passed out. And he died a few days later in the hospital. And we went to uh, his funeral. They flew all of the freshmen and Coach Spurrier and all of us to his funeral in Louisiana, man. And it was just sad to see him uh, and his family and stuff like that. You know, you send your kid off to school or if you send your kid out there, you know, to play football, you expect and hope for them to come back, uh, you know, with with everything intact. And so um, that was a tough situation, and, and that kind of harkened me back to that. And so it's just great to see him pulling out of this because, as I said, this is just really a stark reminder uh, of the game that they play and that I've played and others. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a violent game. I, I know, you know, Stanford P's writing in. There's a couple of other people. One with Stanford P, I never know what's a joke and what's not sometimes, right? But, like, you know, with the NFL, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that they should ban the NFL. I, I, you know, people are discussing how that some of the, the pieces out there about how violent a sport it is. Yeah, I get it. And I, players get to make that decision and parents get to make that decision. I'm not here to banish the NFL. I don't think that's what you're doing right now. No. We can acknowledge how violent a sport it is compared to soccer, even if you have a Christian Erickson suffer cardiac arrest on the field in 2020. Right. OK, it happened in soccer. We see injuries in basketball. Yeah, I saw a guy in hockey was talking about it. Sure. Like, yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of things that happen. I think we can all acknowledge football might be a little bit more dangerous than those. And a lot of players get to make that decision to play. I'm hoping that they're in the safest moment as possible, making the safest decisions based off of all the information that they're able to to bring out from all their different sources. That's fine. They get to make that, that decision based on what they want to do. I don't think anybody's trying to banish the game of football or NFL, at least around here. It's Wesson Walker. We have one more hour to go. Sports Radio 92.7 FM.